0: All right, well, hey everybody, welcome to Eaglebert Church. Really good to have you with us today. We are in the third week of a series called Battle Ready. And the question I want to begin with is this What is it that you battle? On a daily basis, on a weekly basis, what is it that you fight against? Some of you would say, Well, it's insecurity. I, I compare myself to other people frequently and I feel like I come up short. Some of you would say that it's people-pleasing, that you go through your life and you're worried about what they thought, and are they upset at you, and why didn't they text message you back quick enough, and you're just worried about pleasing other people. It's a battle for some. Others of you would say, well, my battle is against addiction. I want to stop. I have promised to stop. I know that God wants me to stop, but it's a battle, and so far you haven't been victorious. My hope today is that we could stop living defeated, and we could receive the power that God wants to give to each of us. In fact, today's message is titled, I Am Alive, and we're going to discover the difference it makes in a person's life when they are fully alive in Jesus Christ. Several years ago, my wife was at the Mall of America with our son, and she was walking through the mall. She was text messaging somebody, so her head was down, when all of a sudden my son goes, Mom, look at that guy up there. He's lying face down. I think something's wrong. And my wife looked up ahead, and sure enough, there was a white-haired gentleman. He was lying flat on the ground, face down, in the Mall of America, right next to the escalator. My wife did not waste any time. She yelled out, call 911. Somebody call 911. And then she began to run over to give this man CPR. Well, you can imagine this created quite the commotion. People were pointing and people were staring and they were starting to talk animatedly among each other. My wife got over to this man. She rolled him over to start giving him CPR when all of a sudden he goes, Whoa, what are you doing? Turns out he was a maintenance worker who had taken a panel out of the floor and so his head was down in the panel. He was fixing something for the escalator. My wife goes, I thought you were having a heart attack and you were dying. He said, no, but it's nice to know I would have been taken care of. Now, I think every single one of us understands that if a person, if their heart has stopped beating, if they are unresponsive, well, then he would have needed CPR he would have needed someone to hook him up to a breathing machine or something like that because if you're unresponsive, you can't simply go, well, I'm just gonna muster up the strength to become aware of my surroundings again. You need someone else to do that for you. Oftentimes, in the physical world, there is a principle that will point to a truth in the spiritual world. In this case, just as it's true that someone who's physically unresponsive, cannot bring themselves back to life again, it's also true that someone who is spiritually dead, spiritually unresponsive, they can't save themselves. They can't make themselves alive again. They need someone else on the outside to do that for them. But that begs the question, are we really spiritually dead? I mean, I think most people today would say, well, I don't think so. I mean I've done some things I know I shouldn't have done. I'm sure that God didn't want me to do those, but but does that really mean that I am spiritually dead? That that seems a little dramatic. But I want to take you to verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, this book that we've been going through, and look at what Paul writes. He says, "Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins." He says, "Once you were dead." And that's a blanket statement. It's not like he lined up every single human being and said, well, you, you're, you're dead, and you sin a lot, you're definitely dead, and you didn't grow up going to church, so you're dead too, but the rest of you are fine. He doesn't say that. He says, once you are dead, as in you, me, every other person who's ever lived. And the first characteristic of a person who's dead is that they're unresponsive. And so what Paul is saying is there's a time in everyone's life, mine included, when we were unresponsive to God. It's a time when his wisdom isn't being listened to. His love isn't being felt. His guidance isn't being followed. It's not that we were an atheist. It's not that we didn't believe that there was a God who exists. It's just that we were unresponsive to him. And notice what he says is the consequence for this. He says, you will be doomed forever because of your many sins. You see, Paul says the number one problem is sin. That's the number one problem for all of us. We think the problem of this world is you know, the government or politicians or education. We think the problem in our own life is our boss or our finances. Paul says sin is the root issue. Sin affects everything. My wife and I recently, in our family, we moved into a new house in a new development. And in this development, everybody has to dig their own well. And so our, the builder found a well company. They came out. They dug down to 125 feet. Now you would think at 125 feet you would have great water, but it was terrible. It was so bad we had to come and dig the second well because the water was so irony and it was so hard. And the hardness of the water was corroding at our dishes and our appliances. The iron was staining our sinks and our tubs, and that's what sin does. Sin corrodes your relationships, stains your conscience eats away at your joy and your peace in life. Sin hurts. If you've ever been sinned against by another person, you know that this is true. If someone's ever cheated on you, left you, abused you in some way, you know that sin brings with it pain and loss. Paul says sin is what affects everything. That's our number one problem. He goes on in the very next verse, and he says, you used to live just like the rest of the world. When I was in high school, this was me. If my friends used a certain language, I was going to use that language too. If my friends treated people a certain way, well then, I guess that's how I'll treat them as well. If my friends had certain beliefs about God or about the world, well, yeah, sign me up, I'll believe that as well. I lived like the rest of this world. Sometimes I'll be talking to someone, and I can tell that they're like that. They're just kind of going with the flow, living like everybody else, and you can tell that they're not real concerned about the condition of their soul. They have other things that they're concerned about. They're concerned about the Vikings kicking game, and I'm concerned about that as well. They're concerned about the greens on their local golf course. You know, What's the conditions of the greens? Are those going to be good today? They have some conditions that they're nervous about that they're worried about but they're not concerned about the condition of their soul. And one of the questions that I will ask people more and more who are in that kind of mindset is this, what if God has more for you? What if God has more purpose for you? What if God has more joy and more contentment? What if God has more influence that he wants to use you to change other people's lives and to make a real difference, but you're so busy living like the rest of this world, that you're missing the more that God has for you. Paul says, don't settle. Don't live like everyone else. In the next verse, he goes on. He says, all of us used to live that way. We all had a time in our life where we we're like, well, I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. He says, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature. Now, if you don't believe that's true, just look at any two-year-old. Because there's not a two-year-old in this world who doesn't know the word Mine. What's that? Mine. What's that? That's mine. That's mine. No, no, that's mine. Give me that. That's mine. I don't care about you. I don't care about you. That's mine. That doesn't necessarily go away. As you become an adult, you get a little more tactful. But you still have this mindset that says, well, it's about my desires. It's about my passions. We're born that way, the Bible says. He goes on and he says, and we were under God's anger, just like everyone else. Another translation of that verse says that we were under God's wrath. Ever been under someone's wrath before? When my wife was pregnant with our first son, she woke me up at 2.30 in the morning, and she said, my contractions are getting stronger, and they're closer together. We need to get to the hospital right now. Problem was, she had told me this two other times in the previous few weeks, and so it was 2.30 in the morning, and so I rolled over, and I said, I think you're going to be fine. We did end up going to the hospital that night, but when we got there, it was different this time. The nurses were running around. They were panicking. They said things like, you are dilated to a seven or an eight. They said, you almost had this baby in the elevator. And then they looked at her and they said, what took you so long getting here? And all at once, it was like everybody in the room just looked over at me. And I was under wrath for a moment there. A friend of mine forgot his wife's birthday, and you never want to do that, but this was a round number birthday. So it's the kind of birthday you throw a surprise party for, just just, slipped his mind. And so for a while there, he was under wrath, and he didn't even know it. His relationship was a little broken, it was a little separated, and he wasn't even aware of it. Now, when he finally figured out and realized what he had done, he did what any sensible husband would do. He just went overboard. I mean, this was like, couldn't have turned out better for her. I mean, a huge dinner, party, any gift you want. But for a while there, he was under anger and wasn't even aware. That's how some people are with God. Their relationship with God is broken, and they don't even know it. They're under God's anger. They're under his opposition, and they're not even aware of it. Friends, you don't want that. You don't want to be under God's opposition or under his anger. You want to be under God's kindness. You want to be under his favor and his blessing in your life. Now, some of us hear this, and we think, I don't really like talking about God's anger. Let's talk about God's love. Let's talk about how God chooses us and how God will give us strength when we're weak in life. I mean, I like talking about those things and I like talking about that as well. But here's the truth. We will never fully understand the good news until we understand the bad news. If you don't know that you're in danger, you won't know that you need to be rescued. If you don't know that there's a problem, you won't know that you need a savior. When I was in high school, a person came up to me one time and they said, are you saved? And I almost laughed out loud. (laughs) I was like, what do I need to be saved from? I mean, I I was a good person. And at that time in my life, I was kind of just doing what everybody else was doing. And so like most people, I thought, well, if you're a relatively good person, you're gonna go to heaven. I thought, what do I need to be saved from? Now, what's interesting is at that time in my life, I lied a lot. I would pass it off as a white lie, but it was a lie nevertheless. What do you call someone who lies? We call them a liar. During that time in my life, I would go to Best Buy and I would grab a CD off the shelf and I would walk over to where the TVs are because I had figured out that there was no security cameras over there. They didn't think you're going to grab a huge TV and just walk out with it. So I would walk over with a CD. I would pretend that I was watching you know, the different TVs, but the whole while I was unwrapping the CD from its wrapper. Leave the barcode and the wrapper on the floor, slip the CD in my pocket, walk out the door. What do you call someone who does that? We call them a thief. During that time, I would look lustfully at girls, and Jesus says that if you do that, and you're not married, it's someone that you're not married to, that you've committed adultery in your heart. Nobody wants to think this way about themselves. No New York Times bestseller is ever going to tell you this because they know we would probably never buy the book. But the truth is, at that time in my life, I was a lustful, lying thief, and I didn't even know it. Now, some of you would say, well, I'm not lying. I'm not stealing. I'm not doing big sins. But I hadn't put my faith in Christ. So regardless if it was a big sin or a so-called little sin, my relationship with God was broken. My relationship with God was separated. And what's scary is at that time, I wasn't even aware. Maybe that's you. Physically, you're alive. I mean, you're taking in oxygen. Neurons are firing in your brain. Blood is flowing through your arteries. But spiritually, you are unresponsive to God. And how do you know? How do you know if you're spiritually dead or spiritually alive? If there is one skill that I have apparently not taught my children very well, it's shutting doors. We will come back to our car after being in Target, and both of the side doors of our minivan are wide open. Now, nobody takes anything because our van is so messy and so dirty that I assume that they think they're going to get asbestos or something. I mean, who knows what's growing in there? It's at your own risk. But if you wanted it, it was wide open because there it is, the doors are open. I've been driving on my lawnmower. I'll go past our sliding door in the basement wide open. Kids left it open the whole night. Any raccoon or squirrel who needs a dry, warm place to live, they can just come on into my basement because the door is wide open. Now, there is one of my kids that is the chief violator of this, but I am not going to throw him under the bus in front of thousands of people. I would not do that to Jasper. But there was a time several years ago where I came out to my car in the morning and I tried to turn on, battery was dead. Three days in a row, one of the kids had left a door open, sat my battery. Here's my question. How do you know when a battery has moved from death to life? How do you know when there's been automotive regeneration? Well, there's multiple confirmations, right? It's pretty simple. The car turns on. The radio works. The lights kick back in. There's multiple confirmations of automotive regeneration. In the same way, when a person has moved spiritually from death to life, when a person has been regenerated by God, there are multiple confirmations in their life. For example, they'll want to know God. For the most part, people don't have to twist their arm to go to church or to read the Bible. It's it's not that they never miss church. It's not that they read the Bible every day, but, but there's something in them that says, you know what? I want to know God. I want to know who Jesus Christ is, and I want to know what he has for my life. You're spiritually alive. If you're spiritually alive, you will feel a conviction when you sin. Not that you never sin, but when you do sin, you will want to make that right. You will apologize, and you will fight against that sin. If there is a sin in your life right now and you are fighting against it and you are trying to get rid of it, I'm telling you, it's a sign that you are spiritually alive. But if you're just kind of living for your own passions and your own desires and you don't even think about God, that's a sign that spiritually you're unresponsive. If you're spiritually alive, there's gonna be a growing awareness of God's voice in your life. You're gonna find yourself growing in things like compassion and generosity and love for other people that just how there is multiple confirmations that a battery has moved from death to life, there are multiple confirmations in a person as well. Now, just to recap, so far, Paul has said that we are dead, doomed, and under God's anger. Aren't you glad you came to church today, right? Man, the strength to face next week, you're encouraged. So I want to get you to verse 4 because verse 4 begins with two words that are both three letters each. They are simple words in the English language. And I am telling you, when you put these two words together, there is more power than any other two words he says, but God. Maybe you're here today and you're going, I am hopeless right now. I am telling you, but God. You say, I feel like I am just struggling and I am so tired, but God. You're dealing with infertility, and you say, this is so painful, and people don't understand how painful it is, and I have no one to talk to about this, and I'm constantly reminded of it. There is a but God at the end of your story. Some of us say, I've lost a loved one, and it's been such a painful year, but God, raises people to life, raises people to eternal life. Again, there is a hope beyond the grave. Paul says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even while we were still dead because of our sin, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. No other world religion would have started that verse with the words, but God. Every other world religion would have said, but you. A Buddhist would say, but you can cease from your desires. A Hindu would say, but you can detach from your ego and you can find unity with the divine oneness. Islam would say, but you can live a life of good deeds and obedience to Allah and that will save you. Somebody who's new age would say, but you can gain a new perspective by which you see that the divine is in you. You are divine. It's about you. Every other world religion would have begun with the two words, but you. Christianity says, but God. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even while we were still dead because of our sin, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, and then Paul writes, it is only by God's grace That you have been saved. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, but God wants to give it to you as a gift. In fact, look at what Paul writes in verse 8: He says, For it is by grace that you've been saved. He says, It's through faith, through faith in Christ, not by works. It is the gift of God. He says, It's by faith that you are saved. It's by faith that a person is made spiritually alive again. It's by faith that you gain access to eternal life. Several weeks ago, I went to work out at the fitness club, and my membership key wasn't working. I work out at one of these 24-hour fitness places where you just buzz your key and the door unlocks. And I kept trying it, and it wasn't working. I later found out the whole system was down, so nobody could get in for a couple hours. But I didn't know what else to do. So I banged on the glass to get the attention of the guy who was on the elliptical machine. And he looks at me and goes, And he walks over to the door and he just stands there. I said, can you you open the door for me? He said, no. I said, oh, I know. I showed him my membership key. I said, I'm a member here. For some reason, my key is not working. I said, I just need you to open up the door for me. He said that happened to me one time, and nobody opened the door for me. I said, "Well, this is your big moment, then, right? You've been waiting on this for a couple of years." But and, and then he looked at me, and he said, "You know, if I let you in, and something bad happens, it would be my fault." I said, "You know what? You're totally right. I appreciate your integrity." I said, "I'm a pastor. Integrity. Ooh, you know, I'm, I'm all for it." I said, "Open the door. Need you to open the door. I don't want to have to drive back." And, and, and he, he, I said to him, I said, you know what? You and I, we work out at the same time together every day. And we do. I've seen this guy like 30 to 50 times before. I said, we work out at the same time together every day. I said, you know I'm not just some random guy trying to get in. He looked at me. He goes, I've never seen you in my life. And he walked away. <laughs> and I'm like banging on the glass, and I'm going... You were on the bike yesterday and then you went to the pull down thing. I was like naming every machine he was on. It was a little creepy. But it was like God was just speaking through me in that moment and just letting him know that I knew. No matter how often I tried to buzz my key, no matter how many times I banged on the glass, no matter how many times I tried to open the door, I could not open it on my own. I could not get access. Here's the bad news today. The bad news is that on your own, you cannot gain access to eternal life. By your own works, by being in a certain denomination, by having a certain church background, you cannot open that door on your own. But God says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, and he will open up the door for you. And when Jesus sees you, he will recognize you. He won't go, I've never seen you before. What is this, like your first time in church? You're you're gonna ignore me for 30, 40 years, and then you're just gonna show up in church, and I'm supposed to drop everything for you. God doesn't do that. Jesus looks at you, and he says, I know you. I recognize you. I saw you when you were a little kid, and I saw the things that you went through. I know what happened in college. I know the struggles and the pain that you're going through right now. And I will open the door for you. In Jesus' own words, he says this. He says, keep looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the door is opened to everyone who knocks. But you got to knock. You've got to be willing to knock and say, God, I confess that I cannot earn it. I cannot deserve it. I do not deserve it. But God, would you make me spiritually alive? Would you open up the door of your grace? And then you've got to walk through. When my wife was growing up, uh, she was with a single mom. She was raised by a single mom in an apartment complex in Plymouth. And there was another single mom who lived in that apartment complex named Diane Pilgrim. And my mother-in-law and Diane became like sisters. They raised their kids together. They tried to help each other and support each other whenever they could. We were so close as families that we used to celebrate Christmas Eve with Diane and her son, Justin. And we would go to church together, and Justin is this extreme extrovert, loves people. And so the entire church service, he would talk. Like the whole service, hey, what do you think about this? Whoa, whoa, that was funny. And he just talked. And I wasn't even a Christian, but shh. He went on to become a missionary in a Muslim country. He was risking his life to tell people about Jesus. So apparently he was getting something in there. (laughs) But then afterwards, we would go back to this apartment. And we would crowd around a tiny kitchen table, and we would play board games, and the night would end with us arguing about who won, and telling old stories, and laughing with one another. And I remember that oftentimes my mother-in-law and Diane would sit back, and I remember one time they kind of pushed themselves back from the table, and they just looked at each other as we were all arguing and laughing, and they said, aren't we blessed And they both agree that they were. I've talked to people before who have all the square footage you could ever imagine. They have all the toys that you would ever need. And what they will tell me through tears is that they don't have what was around that little table. Diane was this amazingly generous person. And she would sometimes be praying and she would just have this sense that God would want her to give money to my mother-in-law. And Diane had very little money herself, but I remember one time my mother-in-law really needed money and was pretty desperate, and she opened up her mailbox one day, and there was an envelope, and it was unmarked, and there was multiple $20 bills. I think it was like $1,000. And Diane never told us who gave it. We just found out several years ago that she was the one who had done that. They would be with each other. They would support each other. They had each other. And the reason that they were so blessed is because they sacrificed. Diane had to work multiple jobs. Every time one of the kids was sick, they were there. Every time there was a stress, they had to deal with it. Some of you single parents, you know how hard this is. And then several years ago, Diane found out that she had cancer. And she went into chemo, and like many people, it was healed, and we celebrated around that little kitchen table, only to have the cancer come back. And this time, when she tried the chemo, there was side effects, and so where Diane is right now is she has said, either God is going to heal me, or I'm going to go home and be with him. I wonder what it's like to sit across from a doctor and hear those words, It's terminal. The truth is, all of us are terminal. Every one of us is going to die. And we know it's not going to be in 100 years, and we know in many cases it's not going to be 70 years even. We know that, but for some reason it's not so urgent until you hear a doctor say those words. I want to read to you a post that Diane made on Facebook to all of her Facebook friends, and some of them are Christians and some of them are not. But she wrote these words, she says, as I look back on my life, all I see is God's grace. I am humbled and overwhelmed by the unceasing love of God, my Lord Jesus Christ. And then she writes, it is a win-win no matter what happens. Either I go home to heaven or I stay a while longer with all of you. I am so happy to have Jesus to love and trust with my future. She says, this cancer walk, has made my life and my my love and my faith stronger, and I count it a blessing. Jesus is the answer to a blessed life and eternal life with him. He carried me through failures and bad choices and has only shown me love, no condemnation. She says, my greatest wish is that all of you would ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and that is my greatest wish as well. A few days after I read that post, I was reading in Philippians chapter 1. And Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When your life is about Jesus Christ, death becomes a gain. It's about going home and leaving this earthly body to be with God forever. But I am telling you, you don't have to wait to have the hope and the assurance and the blessing that Diane talked about in that post. You can have that today. God says, I love you. And I have no condemnation for the bad choices that you have made. Some of us think that our bad choices have separated us from God forever. And God says, I have no condemnation for you. But I am gonna send my son, Jesus Christ, to open up the door of grace so that you can be spiritually alive. Ephesians 2 says either you are spiritually alive or you are spiritually dead. There is no in-between. And so my question for you today is this. Which one are you? Some of you would say, well, I'm spiritually alive. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ and I trust him. And maybe today is a day for you to push back from that kitchen table and just to say, how blessed are we? Look at God's grace. Look at how good he has been. Others of us would say, you know, I, I'm alive in Christ. I have faith, but I'll tell you, it's, I feel so disconnected from God. I got an email this week from a college freshman, and that's a hard age. He said, I feel like my faith is hanging by a thread. I just feel so disconnected from God. And Part of what I said to him is you need to seek and you will find. You need to knock. You need to begin to pursue God in your life so he can fill you and make you fully alive again. And there are others of you who would say, I'm not sure. I mean, I've always considered myself a a, a good person. I, I, I try to do the right thing, but but I don't know if I'm spiritually alive or spiritually dead. You need to settle that today. You need to know where you are with God today. I believe that God may have brought you to church or has you viewing this message because today is your day to step from death into life. Today is the day for you to begin to experience the more that God has for you. So I wanna lead you in a prayer. And this is just a simple prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray it in the quietness of your own mind with me. And it just says, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I'm walking through that open door. Let's pray together at all of our campuses. Would you just remain seated? You can close your eyes, bow your heads. God, if there is anyone here today at any of our campuses viewing online, they don't know about the condition of their soul they don't know if they are spiritually alive or spiritually dead God I pray right now that you would fill them with your life and that you would open the door and they're just going to pray this prayer in the quietness of their heart and if they believe it God the Bible says they will be saved pray with me Lord I recognize that I have sinned against you I was living like the rest of this world. I was dead in my sin. I was just unresponsive to you. But God, right now, I declare my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died and rose again to pay for my sins and to do for me what I could not do for myself, and that's open the door and make me spiritually alive again. God, would you do that for me? God, would you have no condemnation for my bad choices? Would you show me your love and your grace? And would you give me the gift of eternal life? Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go, if you prayed that prayer, would you text the word believe to 555-888? We have resources we wanna give to you. Don't just start this on your own. Or you can stop off of the Next Steps area at your campus and get those free resources. Tell someone about that decision. Have a great weekend, everybody.